Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Aggregators and Brands show. And today I have Jeff, and he has great experience about aggregators and uh, also like with brands and the e-commerce. Uh, welcome, Jeff, to the show. Thanks. Hi. Thanks for having me today. Very excited to be here. Absolutely. So can you please tell a, a little bit about yourself and your experience? Yeah, actually, so my, my background is mostly in retail. After I got my MBA in Chicago, I spent 20 years in retail. I was a buyer for CVS and Staples stores, uh, and then I was selling products into stores like uh, Party City and Michaels and so forth, and then really just started doing Amazon FBA about six years ago. Worked for a big brand for three and a half years, and then for an agency for almost a year, and then for an aggregator for almost a year as well, so... Sort of have uh, had done many different roles in the Amazon world. Uh, plus, on 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 my own, I had uh, retail arbitrage, online arbitrage, private label, wholesale, you name it. I've I've tried it and uh, and worked in it. So I've been been around and uh, get to know the industry pretty well. Hey, it's really great, uh, you know, the the experience that you have, especially retail, which I'm gonna come later on because I'm seeing now a new trend again. You know, the Amazon sellers also looking how they can uh, be present on retail too. Uh, but before that, as you know, we kind of start always talking about the aggregators. And um, what we are seeing in the market uh, from starting from the summer is uh, last four or five months, uh, the aggregators are a bit um, in a silence mode. And uh, we have seen maybe 10 to 15% uh, staff reductions um, across the board, both in U in the US as well as in Europe uh, with mm -hmm. aggregators. Uh, we don't see too much of a a fundraise, except a few, um, a few of them, but not really much going on uh, with uh, raising uh, funds. Uh, we don't see new aggregators, so that's kind of like my view. But uh, we'll be very happy to to get your view on the the aggregators market. Yeah, I can I can only speak from my personal experience and, and people I know personally. So uh, only uh, touching a, a small microcosm. Of the whole industry, but yes, uh, staff reductions in aggregators is is very real. Uh, I've also know for sure that many aggregators have reallocated resources, so people that used to go out hunting for deals are now on the operations side uh, and and managing the, the companies. I have heard of of deals still being um, uh, closed. You know, there's still there's still um, um acquisitions being made i've heard that that pretty clearly uh it's certainly much slower uh i know at the uh, prospect show back in march uh, there was a whole bunch of us there lots of aggregators all looking for lots of deals and in the last couple of shows i have uh, haven't seen that many aggregators actually presenting and um haven't heard about the deal flow being as high as it was uh i've heard rumors in the in the industry that that multiples are much lower and in talking to some big sellers that are considering whether they should sell or not, uh, when I ask people, I hear a lot of, hey, you know, now's a good time for me to build and, and sell later. You know, as you, as you know, the acquisitions are based on, on uh, SDE, which is basically profits. And a lot of them believe that they can get bigger now. It's also, it seems to be that financing, funding is, is plentiful and, and pretty cheap. So places that were concerned about raising money for inventory and expansion plans, seems to be easier to get those funds. And uh, I do see some of that that happening. But 
I know it's a it's a challenge for sure to to run an Amazon business and as an aggregator to run several dozens or or even more uh, businesses at the same time at scale just because each business has its own unique uh, needs. You know, it's not a, it's not a one size fits all. So um, that's 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 sort of my perspective. But I know that there's uh, a lot of people out there uh, either that have just left or or uh, the aggregator space and, and are looking at, at new new opportunities potentially. That's right. So that's also kind of what I am seeing in the market. Like uh, we work with uh, a couple of brokers, like they they refer to us uh, new customers. And I see kind of an increase in the number of uh, customers referred to us. Why? Because like when they start talking about the exit strategy, kind of they switch like majority of the people now are focused on building and growing so that they can sell later maybe when the market is in a much better condition uh, because I see the, the multipliers around like three, uh, even less and a lot of people want to still get to that five, six, seven uh, multipliers uh, in the future. So that's a that's a very good point. Uh, the other thing is like you mentioned a few things about the aggregator model, and I don't want to ask it as a kind of a very simple question: Is this a good model or a bad model? <laughs> but what do you think it works with that with like like a roll up company model versus with all that brands in under one umbrella, and what doesn't work? So how do you see the future? The, the first thing I think we need to establish is the difference between brands and sellers, right? I mean, selling products on Amazon, uh, which is a perfectly fine way to make plenty of money, uh, is one thing. But building a brand in, in, in the traditional sense of brand is, is something different. You know, a brand has a promise, has a, a stands for something, it means something. People are searching for it. So they're, they're two different things. So rolling sellers up with brands is, is difficult. Um Look, each each company is is different on Amazon, but if you have a bunch of like companies and you build put them together and build a brand around them, well, that that makes sense. That 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 certainly could be something. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the aggregator space, there's a lot of criteria upon which to evaluate a potential acquisition. But um, I believe that if you boil it down, they're really looking for a moat, right? They're really looking for a product that has a moat around it, and that could be. Uh, a loyal fan following. It could be thousands and thousands or 10,000 reviews or something that sort of protects that company from being, uh, staying at the top of the search results. So if, for example, an aggregator buys a couple of really keystone items that are, uh, have a moat and they're at the top of the search results and then can introduce lots of other products around that or buy other acquisitions that are complementary to it, then it certainly makes sense. But it's it's hard. I know we're all selling on Amazon, but as you know, like it's different. So buying one company that does one thing and one company that does another thing and then 10 more that do all these different things, putting them together, it's not necessarily the same um, same skills and the same actions to get them all to the same place. Some of them re, uh, need pricing. Some of them need optimization. Some of them need uh, advertising. Some of them inventory is the key. So it's it's not as uh, simple as it as it may sound to roll up, but there's certainly efficiencies to be had. I know that's uh, not not a clear answer that you had asked for, but uh, it depends. Exactly, yeah, it, it very much depends. Uh, maybe like I mean, my my thinking was there are two areas that I haven't seen uh, that synergies happening too much. One of them is the supply chain. Like every single uh, brand comes with their own supply chain, and I see a lot of aggregators struggling to consolidate that. 
And the second is I didn't see too much of a product innovation, although I was like, um, I was in the the Helium 10 show, uh, like watching the uh, the trussy or case about the angry orange. And I've seen that like they already uh, improved the, the way that the, the, the products and, and, you know, like kind of like work and also the packaging and everything. So that was really kind of a good news. And I think that's the, the reason why uh, that angry orange was really a good success. But I haven't seen too much of a product innovation going on across the board. It's more about like, putting more money, more resources, and try to get things done. Um, what's your view about that product innovation piece? Uh, well, introducing new products is certainly a crucial part of the aggregator model, just like it's a crucial part of the Amazon model. Uh, variations are obviously easier, and uh, I see a lot of activity around variations just because they are easier. Um, but it, it's a different skill set, right? I mean, you're, you're, if you think of like a traditional P&G, Unilever, J&J, big company, like there's a product uh, development innovation team that, that does that. And when you're in an aggregator, if you don't have that function, you can't ask the person who's also managing operations to also come up with new products. It's, it's a different, completely different skill set and sort of different, different side of the brain working on that. Uh, so I do see some, I do see some innovations coming out of some of the aggregators acquisitions. Uh, also, a lot of the acquisitions that I saw, the founders had all these great ideas, right? They were launching new products every year and they have a whole pipeline of new products. And sometimes they didn't have the funding, the resources, the people, the, the, the supply chain, the expertise to bring them to market. So the aggregators that include the founders still involved, whether it's on some type of consulting or other uh, arrangement, tend to benefit because then the founders can say, well, we tried this or we wanted to do this and we just didn't have the resources to do it. And now the aggregator who uh, has more resources and can be more effective at scale can, can bring some of those things there. But I, I agree that, that product, bringing new products is certainly a key focus and, and has to be talked about in a, in a big way. Absolutely. So maybe a final question about the aggregator. So what's your feeling about moving forward with that model? Do you think it will just coexist with the brands and aggregators or are you expecting something different in 23? My prediction is there'll be fewer, larger aggregators. Um, it's, it's, if you're doing something at scale, let's say you're implementing a, uh, inventory system or something. It, that that's a one-time fixed cost. And when you have a 1,000 ASINs or 20,000 ASINs, I think that, that cost is pretty similar. So I think I would imagine it would be challenging to be a small aggregator in 2023. And um, there's a lot of other things that can be done at scale to the larger ones. But as a, as a business model, it has to be, has to be specific and strategic. I, I believe that a lot of aggregators were buying companies based on the financials, right? It made sense. Uh, the numbers all added up and, and on a spreadsheet, it looked great. But if it doesn't strategically fit into the portfolio, I think it's more of a challenge. But buying a bunch of companies strategically to build something around it certainly does make sense. So there may be some uh, moving moving around. I can't imagine a bunch of new aggregators launching like we saw in the past 12 months. Um, but I could see more consolidation or acquisition uh, coming up uh, shortly. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm also looking for it. I didn't hear much yet, but I'm very keen to see that there will be a few uh, consolidations uh, in the next few months. Um, yeah. I think, you know, like we, we talked uh, really, I mean, thank you for the insights. That was really great. I mean, all about the aggregators and the future of that business. 
uh, and we always kind of think, of course, we, we focus on the brands and uh, all the brands now are laser focused to be successful in Q4. Um, what is, what's your view now with the Amazon market? And maybe we can talk about the 23 strategies for the brands. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, can I ask you a question first? Sure. Do, do you think it's harder or easier to be a seller, uh, you know, in, in 23 than it was in, I don't know, other years, taking out the COVID spike? Um, I, you know, I, I, I've heard and, and I've seen it certainly takes more effort, uh, more optimization, more advertising, more everything. But yet there's these amazing tools and software and agencies that you can outsource things that didn't exist uh, in recent years. So what's your thought? Is it easier or harder now going forward? Right. I mean, that's a good question. Like it's uh, sometimes I I have another question. It's more kind of a philosophical one. Is it like if if we think about uh, the people in the world, they're they're like more good things happening or bad things happening? I think, you know, sometimes I think about it like it's like uh, more than half of the people are bad people or they're like good people there. Uh, so it's like I think um, it's getting harder. And it's getting easier. The the thing is, it depends from where you look at it, uh, and where you look at from. And um, as you as you mentioned, like for example, um, there was no Eva like three years ago, and uh, we did a lot of things in the market. Like I'm just you know talking on on our, on our side, and uh, we for example, one of the things we did was. Uh, for some certain services, we reduced the costs almost by 50% in the market. Now, uh, it means that like the, the, um, the, the brands will benefit from that service just because he was doing that now for 50%, for, you know, um, better rates. But at the same time, it's a balance. Like, you know, you, you spend less on one service and you need to spend more on the other service because, what happens today is like there is more people in the market, but there is more products and there is more consumers too. Like the number of prime members are also increasing. Uh, mm-hmm. Amazon is be growing globally. So I think there is a balance. It's not like uh, easier or uh, harder, but I think if the, if the Amazon seller is smarter, then there are more opportunities to be successful uh, because there are the tools, as you mentioned, and the services, it's just a little bit harder to find them. And um, there is more competition, so you need to differentiate. But as as soon as you differentiate, you can have a much better result compared to maybe six years before. I, I agree with you too. I, I look, I, I I made the shift from from brick and mortar retail to Amazon mostly because. I love data-driven uh, solutions, and in retail, like you don't know necessarily how many people walk down the aisle, how many how many people pick up an item and put it in a shopping cart, and then decide not to and abandon the cart. But in e-commerce, we have all that data. So, and and now we have access to even more of it, either either from Amazon, which is great, and then also with all these tools that are doing calculations for us. So, uh, I think you have to be smarter, um, but that's better for you and for your product and for your brand and for your consumer. So uh, I agree with you, but I, I like your comment about perspective. It, 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 it all depends on, on uh, if you're looking, how you're looking at it. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, I mean, I see, for example, I see more opportunities every day 
one of the things that's just like that was just very impressive because I also look at like the data about the trends uh, because uh, we monitor around 20 million products on Amazon and uh, like 5 million of them are in the CPG space because it's kind of very interesting for us like what the CPG stands, CPG brands are doing. And I see more and more, for example, people are searching for like plant-based drinks, like plant-based um, weight loss drink without caffeine. And, you know, I'm like super interested because like weight loss is also kind of like an area which I'm always interested, like, uh, <laughs> like, you know, because I consistently fail. And I always kind of interested like what the people are looking for. And, and I look at the Amazon data. But it's so fascinating. And then you see, like, if you have that product, like, I mean, I already see the search trend. Like, I already see that. If the, the product satisfies the trend, I mean, this is great, right? Like, there is no way in retail to know about something before it happens because everything starts with the search in a way. Right. The, the, I would say the big difference uh, in, in retail and e-commerce is, is timelines. In retail, you have to plan further in advance, Right. Uh, I sold uh, Christmas candy in stores, and in January, you start analyzing uh, post-mortem on Christmas candy. February, you start talking to manufacturers, and by March, uh, you've pretty much made commitments and decisions by April, and then the stuff's made in China, and it's shipped over and gets to stores. Like It's literally one year from, from, uh, from when the season ends, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're planning ahead. And you can't wait for, you know, an e-commerce for search volume or in retail for trends. You, you really have to take a stab. Um, we, in the old days, we'd go to a lot of trade shows and we'd sort of see what people were doing. And there were certain people that spotted trends. Like we paid a company that would go to Helsinki in Tokyo and tell us what the cool colors and patterns are. And, you know, you sort of had to make some, some uh, leaps of faith there. But I think in the Amazon world, we all have to start thinking much further ahead. So I love that we're talking about 2023 and uh, and those things, because it's not, it's not a last minute. I think people definitely plan ahead in Amazon. But in general, the, uh, the the thought model is is start planning even further ahead. You know, what's the one year? What's the three year? And take a, a step. Like plant based is certainly a trend that's that's here and is expected to grow. Uh, and instead of waiting for a search term, I think people have to sort of take a leap of faith of you know wh- where is plant based going and what can I do in that area in a big way to to leapfrog other people that are just uh, more closely following the today's trends. That's right. And um, the technology is improving so fast. I mean, that's another thing. Uh, and some of the Amazon sellers, they are not like the, the best with the tech. Uh, but I really believe that, you know, the ones who are very successful, they know how to use the data and uh, the technology. And um, one of the things about, for example, me and my, my co-founder, Barry, um, and we are both computer engineers and, uh, we had absolutely no idea about anything uh, w- when we started like Amazon business, like about retail or e-commerce, except like, you know, maybe we deal with like big retailers from a tech point of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point, it was three years ago. Uh, I thought, I mean, that was so interesting, but I, I asked one day, like, Barry, what are you selling? Like uh, for a specific, like there was a category and he was like, he doesn't know because he's just like, <laughs> following what the data sale tells him to sell. I mean, that was a retailer business, reseller business. 
and mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't know. He was just like uh, uh, following the AI to decide, you know, what to do. Now the things are getting even more interesting, um, especially with Amazon um, now positioning the marketing stream. Uh, just like two weeks ago, we started the the real time bidding on on Eva. So our teams are working on this real time bidding, which means uh, like in the morning, maybe the trend is like the conversion is more, the sessions are more, maybe conversion is less. Then you you have a budget for the day, and the system will kind of start spending maybe less budget because the conversion is less. But as the conversion is increasing, the budget is increasing. I have seen that yesterday in real time for the whole twenty four hours. I kind of like watched it, you know how the how the things work. I mean, it's a totally different ball game compared to. Uh, you know, just check the data yesterday, check the data like a week ago. And I remember uh, like a, a year ago, we we're talking about day partitioning, which is more or less like deciding what day, what hour of the day to spend how much money. And everybody was thinking, oh, this is amazing. But it was not based on the data. It was more based on again estimation like that. Hey, it's much better to do this at 6 p.m. But right now, it's like based on the real data, we are able to change the things. And then I, when I see it, I'm just thinking, wow, the impact of that in 23, it might be um, at least 10 to 15% better optimization. So here you right. go. You know, there you go. For the people with the with the tools. Hey, let me ask you a question on, on, on all these software tools. What is the difference between AI, machine learning, rules-based? I mean, does the software just have a bunch of sort of if-then statements, or is it actually truly learning patterns and, and able to predict? Oh, the, our our kind of show is, uh, you know, kind of becoming the the secrets of the real AI, you know, like what is this AI thing, right? And we talked about this briefly, right, in, in Vegas, uh, in yeah. one of these shows. And, uh, and I mentioned that, you know, I was graduated at 99 uh, from computer engineering and, and my thesis was also about AI. So I was very much into AI. Uh, which started uh, around 19, like 73, 74. And there was like two languages at the time, which is called Prolog and Lisp, like to, uh, to mimic like the, the human behavior and, and try to kind of, um, you know, kind of uh, create the robots and things like that. The problem in the 99 was uh, the cloud was not there and uh, the processing power was not good enough. And, uh, and it was so expensive. So when, we, and when it was like 2010, what changed was like with the uh, introduction of AWS and uh, Oracle, Microsoft, Google Clouds, it became really easier, cheaper, accessible to run the machine learning algorithms, uh, which is the, the foundation of AI. So you can think about machine learning as a, as a subset of AI where uh, the the algorithm is learning from the past behavior. So if the algorithm, for example, um, so basically the difference between the rule-based and the machine learning, the rule says if X equals Y, do this. And that never changes, right? It's always like, you know, kind of like the rule is executed as soon as, as long as the the uh the statement is 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 satisfied 
where in machine learning, the result is also important because sometimes the result is A and sometimes the result is B. Now, based on the result, the system is learning and updating the rule, like updating the probability of which result uh, will, based on the result, updating the rule uh, as the probability of uh, one result to another is changing as each time the, the rule is executed. That's kind of like the, the difference. Uh, so it's like a it's like a person, like a baby who learns not to touch the fire. But the first thing is like you touch the fire and then you're like, okay, now I shouldn't touch the fire. But next time you touch the fire and maybe it's it's not a right example, but it's something that is hot. But you still think, you know, maybe I shouldn't touch it, but maybe you touch it. And now it's not that hot. Okay, now I can touch it now. I mean, like the, the, to the T. So it's like kind of a learning process. So is it applicable in in AI? Like, I mean, we have seen so many tools, right? It's all about AI driven. It is applicable when the context parameters are all known, uh, because if one of them is not known, it's very tough. Like it's very, very difficult because um, because it's not easy to implement like the, the like because the AI works based on the data, but if the data is not complete, then the decisions are not complete as well. So you need to have all the parameters into into this uh, like data lake or data warehouse, whatever you you name it. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things about advertising, for example, and uh, we are pretty deep into that right now in EVA with advanced being an ad, Amazon advanced partner, for example, you don't know the impact of the image optimization uh, or, you know, or the text the to the conversion. Uh, so because of that, like not all the parameters are in uh, in when you do that advertising calculations. So it still works. It makes sense, but it's not always, uh, you know, having the, the right results. That's why I believe um, it's a combination of like art and engineering. And mm-hmm. you need to have the PPC specialist and the AI powered tool or rule-based tool working together delivers the best results that's what we see right and now. without without taking advantage of the the tools uh available in the market it's uh, you're at a disadvantage right i mean the, the stuff moves so fast and a lot of other people are using it so i agree it's it's important to have a human in there and there's there's so many factors even though they say hey you, you only change one thing at a time like you can't control your competitors change price or new competitor launch like there could be so many factors going on to affect your uh, change in your in your performance um, that the machine might not be able to pick up on, but yeah, having that 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 balance is really the key to success for brands. They they have to heavily follow the tools to get the quantitative advantages of of uh, the fast moving uh, metrics and to track the data. I mean, just the reporting alone is is overwhelming. Um, but again, there's simple tools that do that, and then uh, just having someone who's who understands merchandising, marketing, and and business to interpret, analyze, and then test. Uh, I know in my Amazon time, I constantly had tests going. You try and again try and test one thing at a time, but uh, it's so easy uh, in Amazon to put a test out there for a short period of time or a long period of time, whether it's an official manage my experiments through Amazon or PicFu or or just uh, tweaking something on your own. 
uh, to get data. Um, you know, we, we do this in retail all the time and, and on Amazon, it's even easier and, and quicker to get the results to, to see what's working and what's not. It's, you know, the, the vast majority of, of the Amazon consumers who, who are not sellers don't even understand this stuff, right? They just assume the price is the price. They don't realize that the price could change in an hour or a day or, or even shorter. So it's amazing what, uh, what, what sellers can, can do these days. Yeah, even like every every two minutes, right? Like, I mean, like we are already doing this test a few weeks ago, right? I mean, so um, when I show that like the price can change every two minutes, uh, I mean, even I, I am like fascinated with that, like price changes, like for example, what we do in EVA, because which, which creates almost like a stock exchange, like like demand is increasing, price is increasing. I mean, like it's very uh, non-traditional way of, uh, thinking and, and making money because I know that, for example, when I talk to the CPG brands, uh, you know, like I see more like they, like a traditional approach, hey, the price should be the same all the mm-hmm. time. But then, uh, when I explain that the, that's not the, even the, uh, expectation of an Amazon seller 99% of the time, the Amazon consumers, sorry, they, they don't like care if the price is the same. But they do care about, like, at the time they are having that buying decision, it has to be relevant, like, to the market, not to, not like, hey, six months ago, your price was that. I mean, nobody's expecting that with houses even, right? Why with CPG products, right? I mean, even with the property, the price is changing every month. (laughs) And why should the people expect that? Uh, whatever bar needs to be always one dollar ninety nine cents, you know, like that's not the case, right? So, right. yeah, but I mean, it's a great conversation. It's already, uh, you know, like we we had some great ad- in insights for aggregators and brands. So thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, but mm-hmm. maybe like as a final question, so as twenty three is approaching, uh, what would be the the top three things that you would advise? Uh, to the brands uh, for 23? Um, I would say uh, the, the right combination of tools and, and, and humans, like we just talked about, it's, it's, it's crazy to do this without, without tools uh, or to give it all to a tool. Both those things to me seem crazy. Uh, testing is really important. Um, and, and innovation, uh, relevant innovation, right? I mean, like really understand the consumer. And I know like, there's millions of podcasts where people just talk about, hey, you have to know who your customer avatar and understand like what magazine they read and who they are. That's hard, right? I mean, like we're, we're so far removed from the people that buy our products on Amazon and we, we can't even talk to them. We don't even know their, their name and their email most of the time. Um, but by reading reviews and trying to understand there, it's, it's really the person who can understand what their consumer is and what they want and what questions they're asking and then innovate towards that consumer are those the ones who, who win because they, they build a brand around that. And I'm not saying it's easy, um, but uh, that to, in 23, I think that's really where, where we have to focus on. Absolutely. So thanks. Thank you very much for the advices and thank you for joining the show. Thank you. I Thank you.